Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. Uh, if you've been with the rant for a while, you might be confused. We were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and now we switched to 1 Thessalonians. But uh, you know what? That's just for a short time. We're going to get back to the Sermon on the Mount, God willing. We switched to 1 Thessalonians because I'm going on a trip to Greece, and we'll be walking where Paul walked in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi and Corinth and, and Athens. So I wanted to get into Paul's head, and so that's the the nature of this series. It started off as a four-part series. It's now an eight-part series. I appreciate your patience. Uh, so, so listen, I hope you're enjoying that. We will get back to Sermon on the Mount, okay? So before we get started, I want to thank Life Audio for hosting the podcast, and uh, let's get a word from a couple of our sponsors before we get going, okay? See you in a bit. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, welcome back. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at chapter 4, this podcast number 7, and then podcast number 8 will be in the final chapter and do a wrap-up, okay? Okay, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to this more and more. That's the NIV. So Paul is using, and he's using it a lot in 1 Thessalonians, it's Jewish rhetoric. I mean, he says, we see that you're already doing what we're asking, so good on you, but now we want you to do even more, right? So it's encouraging, and then he says, you know, you could do some more in the Spirit. So here it is, live a life pleasing to God. That's not a new law, is it? I mean, that's the Old Testament, right? It's not a new regulation, don't I don't take this as a guilt trip or some new conditions or, you know, you do this or you're going to lose it all. Here's the thing is what we're picking up is, and we saw this in the Sermon on the Mount as well, the spirit in you, Paul is arguing and, and gets, is pleasing to God because he's God. So just get in sync with him. There you go. And you know, it looks like the, the Thessalonians are beginning to feel it. They're showing love towards other people. They're doing, they're feeling joy, even in the middle of persecution, right? So I think they're getting it. They're, uh, Paul is just blowing on a heavenly flame that's already there. So this is not a message for Christians, non-Christians, sorry, unbelievers to work harder in hopes of gaining courage with God. No, this is encouragement to Christians to work harder uh, to to walk in step with the Spirit, Paul will say in Galatians, right? So it's not working harder on your own effort, 
you know, always looking over your shoulder and wondering if you're good enough for God. It's looking internally uh, to get in step, walking in step with the Spirit. So, so think miraculous because it's spiritual, noticeable changes. It is affecting us uh, that even the hardest of outsiders would look at and, you know, they just have to go, man, something's happening. I mean, I don't believe in God, but I can't explain why Bob is treating his neighbor that well, or why Mary is treating her children that well, whatever it might be, right? So we're not just called to be good humanity or friendly humanity or even friendly verses. We talked a little bit about that. There's no verse in the Bible about being a friendly church. We're called to be unlikely vessels of the love of Jesus, miraculous love of Jesus that's dynamic. It's big. That's our calling. That is our goal. And that's what Paul is seeing happening among the, uh, the Thessalonians. We can't do it on our own. Nowhere close unless a spirit in our inner being, Paul says in Ephesians 3, unleashes God's power. And then the world would notice. You know, is it just me? But is that what we've sort of taken for granted? And I don't know, maybe we've we've focused a lot on strategy where I work harder. And, and we should work hard, but there's something missing that power, right, that other people notice. So um, if, if they notice they would want what we have because this world is more and more isolated and lonely and anxious. Now, having said that, not only will they want what we have, but others will persecute us like the Jews did to Paul and uh, and Jesus, of course. Either way, I mean, honestly, it's a lot more fun than being just friendly. You know, I can tell you, churches, we're not even keeping up with the rotary on the friendly scale, <laughs> you know? And we should be about changing lives for hurting people. Again, Sermon on the Mount. So we're to make choices, good ones. Uh, but in the end, we ask for spiritual power. Verse 2, again, NIV. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen, who do not who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So interesting. So if you heard the first podcast in this eight-part series, there was a lot of sexual immorality in Greece in particular, Rome as well, but in Greece in particular, that was just culturally accepted and approved of. And we do it too. Don't, don't get me wrong. So I'm not just being judgmental here. I'm just saying it's it's from even from our lenses, it's it's surprising. So adult men having sex with adolescent boys was not only approved of, um, it had zero stigma at all, no shame at all, and it was even considered educational, a rite of passage for the boys. Now, you know, it's even hard for me to say that. Again, I don't want to be judgmental because, you know, yeah, we have our own stuff, but wow. So if you're in Corinth, for instance, and that's happening all around you and, and your parents did it, your grandparents did it, and you're expected to do it too, what is, how do you hear this gain control, Paul says, or literally mastery over your sexual organs uh, Wanamaker describes it that way. He unpacks it that way. I think he's right. So how do you do that? 
Look, neuroscientists will tell you that there are powerful chemicals in our midbrain that drives us towards sexual activities, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. And so we can be quickly become addicted to the highs, the dopamine highs and the oxytocin highs, and, you know, related to sexual relationships, moral or immoral. Tell an addict, a porn addict, to stop. They're fighting very powerful chemicals and addictive cycles in their brain that's that's largely subconscious. So again, I'm hearing what Paul's saying, but how then do I make it stop? Some of the cycles are important for healthy relationships, by the way. So you don't want to not feel that dopamine hit. It, It drives relationships, which can be very hard, right? It's how we're made. Man, is is what Paul doing is telling, he's demanding, commanding, setting a rule that porn addicts um, are, are, to, are to stop? So, so let me tell you a story. Uh, I want to tell you a story about a pastor in a church. The pastor was, was uh, invited to speak to a young man, 21, 22. His father introduced him as a porn addict. And basically, just left him in the in the pastor's office, and and the, the poor young man was in he was in pain. I mean, he had just lost his job because of porn. He lost his girlfriend because of porn. He can't stop it. The pastor tells me that he had never seen anyone so committed to pornography, addicted daily pornography. The the young man was depressed, probably suicidal. And again, what future did he have? And so the, the pastor wisely did something. He, uh, he asked the young man to tell the story, and, and he nodded and listened. And yep, he said, you're, you're, very, you're addicted to porn. This is, this is bizarre. Okay, but since you're an addict, you, you can do this. This is something you can do. And he gave the young man what we now call the simple and cluttered gospel prayer. He said, look, I want you to do this twice a day. You know, you, you're an addict. You can do this. And we'll see you in 10 days. And the the young man started spewing invectives. I mean, is that all you got? That's I didn't want to come anyway. And you're, you're just telling me I got to pray twice a day, this particular prayer. And the, and the pastor apparently said, yeah, see you in 10 days. Not sure if the young man would come. 10 days later, the young man slunk into the room, his, his still looking down to the ground, no eye contact, clear shame. And uh, the pastor said, so how'd it go? And, and the young man said, ridiculous. This was the worst. I don't even know why I came. It was a stupid idea. I just wanted to tell you it was stupid. And the pastor said, well, was there any change? He goes, no, not at all, except for Wednesday. Wednesday? What happened on Wednesday? Well, I, I didn't really want to do porn on Wednesday. Is that what you're talking about? And the pastor grinned and said, yeah, of course, that's what we're talking about. He says, okay, I got, I got an idea. Okay, I got a plan. For the next 10 days, I want you to say this prayer twice a day, the simple and cluttered gospel prayer, um, you know, um, basically is asking God for power through the Holy Spirit. It's built on Ephesians 3. We talked about that in the last podcast, asking God for power to feel his love for yourself and for others. And if you're feeling that, you're going to want to do pornography a little less. That's the idea. Um, and, and so, the man shook his head again, and he was hoping for something harder, you know, some, maybe some punishment. And so 10, 10 days later, he came back, and remarkable what had happened. I mean, dramatic differences, not perfectly. I, you know, with, with addiction, me personally, I think if you're addicted to something so powerfully, you're going to be stuck with that for the rest of your life until heaven, but you can push against it with the simple uncluttered gospel. Anyway, the young man was eventually hired by the church 
and uh, he's married now, apparently still struggles with porn, but not as much could cause the power of the gospel. So this is what Paul is adding to our conversation, our spiritual formation. Okay, let me see if I can explain it. First, Paul is arguing that the issue is not just one of lawbreaking, right? It's not just sin. Matter of fact, he doesn't describe it that way. Are you with me? I mean, go back and look at it. He doesn't say the law says don't do it, so stop it. The overarching umbrella for Paul, it seems, is that when we commit sexual sins, we're wronging our brother or sister. We're exploiting them. We are manipulating them. We're using them, abusing them. We're transgressing against them, right? And this is so important. If, if, capital I-F, if the Spirit is in your inner being and you're beginning to feel a powerful new motivation towards others, loving towards others, wanting to lift them up, honor them, respect them, improve the life of, treat them honorably, then why would you commit adultery? Or to put it, I think, more honestly, if if all of that's true, you would want to commit adultery less. That's the idea. Not perfectly, that's heaven. Because adultery dishonors your spouse. Why would you have an uh, older adult man? Why would you have sex with an adolescent? Ultimately, I mean, neuroscience will tell you that it messes them up. Um, uh, anyway, don't have time to go into that, but it's a shaming act. Come on, that's, that seems reasonably obvious. It's an abusive act that's going to nev- negatively affect them, their family, their future spouse, their future children, and their future relationships. It just will. And, and so why would you fill your head with porn? Because again, we know neuroscientifically it affects your brain. It affects your identity. It increases shame. It affects your relationships, present and future. There can be healing through the power of the gospel. I'm just saying it does. So it treats other act, you know, the actors in pornography, it treats them disrespectfully. You're using them for your own well-being. It's not the heart of the spirit. To be in sync with the spirit is to want to do that less. That makes sense? So see the new motivation that Paul gives people who just a little while ago just saw that they were doing what what they were doing is cultural. It was approved. Everybody did it. No stigma. But then Jesus, and now there's a new awareness. And then Jesus's spirit came in the heart of these people, right? Sinners. Yeah. And God's love honors people, them and the people that they were hurting, way beyond what can be legislated. It's not just that pornea is wrong, it's dishonoring at multiple levels, and the Spirit uh, wants to honor. Makes sense. So a different way of looking at things that I found very, very helpful as a pastor. So the point is, Paul's not shaming them, he's berating them, or guilt-tripping them, or scaring them about condemnation or, or hell, though he could. He's carefully ushering them into the mind of Christ. Okay, verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, there's the point. So the question in between seven and eight is, well, Paul, how do I do that? I mean, it sounds good, I guess, but you know, I still want to do porn. I still want to have sex with the adolescent. I still want to, you know, have an affair, those kind of things. But Paul, Paul says, well, you got the Holy Spirit. There it is. So let's go to the next topic then, which is right on top of it. Now about brotherly love. And by the way, that word refers to male and female. We don't, we don't need to write to you for, get it, you yourselves are being taught by God to love each other. 
So Paul is saying, no, you know the answer to your question. How do you do it? God's already teaching you. It's his spirit. So back to Paul's transparent Jewish rhetoric, it's paralypsis. You know, I don't need to say anything about this, but you know, since I'm on the topic, <laughs> it's, it's good teaching, it's good rhetoric. Paul is observing that the Thessalonians are showing miraculous transformation because in that highly segmented, divided society, the haves and have-nots, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, the, the honored and the not honored, the honored and the shamed, they seem to be loving others equally. Something, something's happening, miraculous. I mean, I think that's what our churches should look at, look like. People come and no matter who they are, what they've done, they feel honored. They feel noticed. They feel loved. They feel touched and, you know, in a good way, appropriate way. And think of what that would look like here in the United States where we're so polarized. So, you know, imagine the people who are feeling shame this week or feeling chronically like they've been treated unjustly, like that young teenager who's been stopped again for DWB driving while black, the beat up, now feeling loved by people who maybe formerly looked down on them. Um, and by the way, the second miracle is the shamed people, those people actually being made to feel loved by God. So two miracles, right? The, they're being loved more and they're beginning to feel loved more, right? Two, two huge miracles. Again, our churches should be known for that. That's our goal. We need to lean into that. Paul is saying that ultimately God gets the credit and that's not a bumper sticker. Um, it might be a vision statement of a church. You know, we're a place where God is making us love others and feel loved by others, right? That would be interesting statement. Here's Wanamaker, a commentator, quote, in other words, Paul begins to, with the fact of his converts' love for one another and concludes that its existence can only be explained by virtue of their having learned to do so from God. By putting the matter in this way, Paul actually introduced the highest possible warrant for mutual love among the Thessalonians, namely that it was God-ordained. Thus, the expression, you yourselves are taught by God, has the same function as the words, this is the will of God, in Chapter 4, verse 3. So do more, meaning get more of it from God. All right, I'm going to stop right now. We're going to get a few more words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. First Thessalonians 4.10 in the NIV. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do more and more. Uh, and, and the word is do more. It's parasoyo. It's this fountain overflowing. It's observable. It's obvious, right? And this is good advice, right? Don't see it as a guilt trip or a new law. The new law is to love others and to love God. It's the same as the old law. But now the difference is we have a power available from God to do it more now. Not perfectly, that's heaven. Verse 11, make it your ambition your aspiration to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. A good advice. Don't think of this as law, right? Um, if you're not working with your hands now, you, you don't quit your job and start working with your hands, right? What he's saying is don't pick fights like the Jews have been doing. And like, by the way, Paul did before his conversion. 
I think he's saying, ultimately, don't take advantage of the benefactors. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that again in the next podcast. Remember the uh, first podcast I did? We In that society, it was an honor-shame culture. And the way that the shame become honors is they they are embraced by an honored benefactor. So think of a wealthy man or woman who is, has a name and reputation, and they take these people under their wings and they become honorable. And I think Paul is partly saying, and you'll see why in the next podcast, don't take advantage of the situation. Because, and why would you? Because you're having this new love and the spirit is not exploitive. The spirit cares for others, honors others, is grateful and thankful and joyful, right? Um, and it's gonna, that, if you do that, it's going to be noticed and, and the, the rest of the population will sit back and go, something's different here. All right, uh, verse 13 through 18, I'm going to read the whole thing. New topic, by the way. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, meaning who have died, uh, though they were Jesus followers. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage people with these words. Um, the meeting, we will meet the Lord in the air. Uh, commentators have pointed out that the expression is a technical expression in Hellenistic Greek for uh, when you have a, a, an arriving dignitary coming to your village or your city and you send out a formal delegation of citizens to meet them, meaning you, you basically go out of your way to give proper respect and honor to the digni- dignitary. That's what That's this technical phrase. So you're meeting the Lord, a dignitary, a, a, a group of people, meaning the dead, um, and the living are going to go meet the Lord in the air. That's the space between heaven and earth in Jewish cosmology. So is, is he being literal here? You know, it's not. you don't have to go that direction. I think he's encouraging people who've lost loved ones and wonder if they'll see him again. And are they going to miss out on the Lord's coming? And I think Paul is simply saying, no. So apparently we can guess that there were legitimate questions raised that Timothy brought back with him uh, to Paul in Corinth from the Thessalonians, maybe the Bereans as well. Uh, Likely, I think it's probably likely that they expected that Jesus was going to return pretty quickly in their lifetimes. It's not clear, but I think that's good speculation. But what do you do? People were dying, maybe due to the persecution, right? So what about the dead? Paul says, no worries. The dead clients of this benefactor, Jesus, aren't overlooked. Um, man, they get what we get. And, you know, there's a lot of theological speculation about the order. Do the dead go first or not? Yeah, I think that's burying the headline. I don't think Paul is being theological here. Maybe. Uh, just I, I just don't see it that way. I think he's encouraging and he's using maybe even exaggeration. See, not only do they get raised up to be with Jesus, they, they go first, in fact. I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to take that loose, more loose than, than most, but we'll see. I'm, I'm happy to be corrected when Jesus returns. All right, here is my translation of 1 Thessalonians 4. 
Finally, brothers, we ask, and matter of fact, we urge you in Christ Jesus, just as you receive from us how it is necessary to behave and to please God, just as you are already beginning to behave. Don't stop. Keep leaning into the Spirit. For you know the instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So separate yourself from sexual immorality. Each of you should gain mastery over the desires associated with your genital genital organs in a way that sanctifying and honorable, not driven by lustful passions. Uh, That's epithumia. It's a gotta have now is a good translation. Like the unbelievers who do not know God in this matter, one should not go beyond proper limits of behavior or exploit his brother or sister because The Lord's going to bring justice for all these things, as we have already told you and bore witness to. For God did not call us to be in a state of moral corruption, rather to be sanctified. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who is giving you his Holy Spirit. He is the key. Now, concerning sisterly and brotherly love, you have no need for us to write to you, for you yourselves are already clearly being taught by God already to love one another. And you do. And we urge you, brothers, to do even more and to make a concerted effort to live peaceably and to mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we instructed you. Live becomingly towards outsiders, and so that you are not dependent upon others. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have passed away, so that you would be distressed like the rest of humanity who don't have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and was raised, and thus we also believe that God will bring those who have fallen asleep through Jesus with him. For this we tell you by the Lord's word, we who are living, who remain until the coming of the Lord, we shall certainly have no advantage over those who have passed away. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet and the dead in Christ will will rise first. Then we who are still alive and are left together with them will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we will always be with the Lord. So thus encourage each other with these words. Okay, um, that is chapter four of 1 Thessalonians. I hope that that makes some sense and gets some dialogue going. You know, this is the Gospel Rant, so you can disagree. Push back, Bill, at gospel-app.com. Love to hear what you think. Um, Pass this on. Help us get the word out. We think that there's a benefit to this kind of study, this kind of podcast. It's not your basic sermon or teaching or Bible study. I mean, it's prep for that. This is how I actually begin working upon my sermons and my books and my, my workbooks. Uh, but here's the place where we dialogue and, and, and hash some things out and wrestle through some things and, and let the Spirit change us. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, let me know, Bill, at gospel-app.com. We'll see you in the next podcast. Uh, should be in just a couple of days because I need to get this in before the trip. And uh, it'll be on the last chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Until then, take heart, child of God. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. 
Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.